You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. How effective are conventional treatments for mental health? According to the National Institute of Mental Health, depression is now the leading cause of absenteeism in the United States. It's the leading cause of disability. It's the leading cause of missed work. Now, this condition, this issue has grown exponentially in recent years. And some people like to point to the fact that, you know, being able to assess and to diagnose and early treatments are all so much more advanced. So that's why the numbers have gone up, but they've gone up precipitously. They've gone up despite those things happening. If you talk to people who've been working in the field of mental health, psychiatrists and neuroscientists and psychologists for 20, 30, 40 years, and you actually ask them, have you seen more cases of mental health issues? They'll tell you it is outrageous. They've grown so much. And the depth of which people are dealing with these issues from anxiety to depression to bipolar disorder, ADHD, the list goes on and on, have been at levels that is just far too much. There aren't enough practitioners to serve all the people who are struggling. Now, the question is, is it a lack of practitioners or is it something going on with our treatments being ineffective that these cases are growing and we're not getting a resolution of symptoms of struggle? Now, I also want to point to the fact, first and foremost, before we get to our special guest today and really dive into these topics, that we want to do our best to not over-medicalize our emotions and to understand that every single human being has experienced levels of anxiety or depression or you know an inability to pay attention to certain things from time to time. And these issues, of course, can be extreme in certain individuals at certain times in their lives. And what we want to do is to understand that we don't want to criminalize these emotions because all of our emotions can provide us with valuable feedback in things that we need to work on, things that we need to change and adapt to, or just to just perceive differently, things that we need to let go of, things that we need to grow from and to become more resilient. And the list goes on and on. Even our physical symptoms beyond just mental health symptoms are giving our bodies valuable feedback. If we're experiencing hypertension, for example, if we're experiencing vision issues because of pre-diabetic symptoms and or diabetic symptoms, it's our body giving us feedback that we probably need to adjust our behavior. But in our conventional treatment of things, as you know, we tend to be provided with a medication to mask that symptom, to not provide a resolution, to not look at what's the root cause of the issue, not focus on let's remove the root cause of the anxiety. Let's remove the root cause of the hypertension. Let's remove the root cause of one of the other conditions that's growing with our cognitive function, degradation, Alzheimer's and dementia. Alzheimer's is now the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. This is not an accident. It doesn't creep its way into nearly the top five cause of death in our modern society because it's just a random occurrence. Something has changed in our culture. Something has changed with the way that we're taking care of ourselves. Something has changed with the way that we're perceiving ourselves, with the way that we're perceiving our emotions, with the way that we're perceiving each other, with the way that we're perceiving food, 
with the way that we're perceiving our environment and exercise and how we interact with things, how we're perceiving technology. All of these things are creating this recipe for the outcomes that we're seeing. And so again, pointing you back to the question, how effective are conventional treatments for mental health? It's one of the things we're gonna be talking about today with our special guests and also, how is the health of the average healthcare professional? How is the health of the average psychiatrist or practicing physician in our culture today? I think you're gonna be really surprised when you find out some of the data and a huge extension of gratitude and acknowledgement for all the incredible healthcare workers that listen to the Model Health Show and who are applying things in their own lives and with their patients. And we're really seeing a, a, a wonderful upspring or a, a shift that's taking place because no longer is our education relegated to just conventional methods that is very linear, that is very one size fits all. We have this access to a wide range of some of the very best healthcare professionals in their respective fields. We've brought forth the top people in the world in gastroenterology, the top people in the world in cardiology, in neuroscience, and the list goes on and on and on. We're talking about the top people, award-winning, all the degrees, the degrees got degrees, all the things. And there's this consistent thread when you see the people who are really at the top of their game, they've come to the realization that our conventional treatments have not been effective. And we need to address the underlying causes of what's ailing our society. We need to address the hallmarks of human health. What are the things that our genes expect from us to have healthy expression or optimal expression? and to be able to mute genes that kind of code for the expression of symptoms. And then we get these symptoms and they get labeled and we get this diagnosis and then we're getting drugs to treat those symptoms, right? We need to address the things that really make us human, right? And so we're gonna be talking about that today as well as from the top down in healthcare, how are we treating our physicians? How are we treating our nurses? How are we treating the people that are entrusted with caring for others? Have we created a system where they're able to care for themselves? Do they have the knowledge base? Do they have the time and access to care for themselves? And so we're gonna, again, dive into all of this. And also recently, there's been a movement because of our poor level of success or part of the reason behind our poor level of success and our dramatically increasing rates of physical and mental illnesses there's been a movement of self-medication, right? Through illicit means and of course through modern prescription medication as well, but self-treatment through illicit drugs and things like psychedelics. But did you know that there's an emerging use of psychedelics in psychiatry? What about the potential for abuse in that category of medicine? We're gonna talk to our special guest about that. And so again, I wanna open up this conversation and get some education and feedback from somebody who's in the field and who's been exposed to these different types of treatments, conventional treatments, and these emerging treatments like psychedelics, and also looking at what are the potential downsides here and for people to consider the long-term ramifications. And again, are we doing things to treat symptoms or are we utilizing certain things to help us to get to the root cause? Again, it's all about addressing the root cause. And sometimes identifying the root cause can be a deep dive. It can take up a lot of time and energy and human capital just to be able to identify that stuff. But you know, our culture today, we want the quick fix. 
We want something now. We want something to address this thing. And sometimes we're not willing or even equipped to do the work necessary to address that root cause and to really remove the thing that's causing the, the symptom or the expression of illness. But I'm telling you right now, and our special guest is going to reiterate, we have so much potential within us and we have so much, especially today more than ever, we have access to this information and to education around all of these things. But it's really, what are you attuned to? Are you attuned to a system that is very good at churning out very poor effects? As a matter of fact, pouring out more degradation and disease? Are you tuned in and tapped into that? Or are you tuned into educational resources that are empowering you, that are teaching you about a variety of different options that you have available to you and that are giving you insights and tools that are science-backed to help you to have a vast array of resources and tools in your superhero utility belt. And if you're listening to this show, I already know the answer to that. You are tapped in and you are all about empowerment and education. But again, today it's more important than ever. And one other thing, if we're talking about cognitive performance, even prior to this incredible interview, one of my favorite things to do is to make sure that my cells are firing on all cylinders, not through anything that is some new age fancy pants thing, but something that is tried and true and has been an important element and literally element in human evolution and our cellular function. Nothing's happening in our bodies, whether we're talking about the creation of energy via our mitochondria, whether we're talking about our heart beating, our neurons talking to each other without electrolytes being present. Electrolytes are minerals that carry an electric charge and they enable signal transduction. They're the foundational piece of the sodium potassium pump that's running nearly every process in our bodies every microsecond. When we're deficient, sodium, potassium, sodium, potassium, these are very important. When we're deficient in these things, problems are bound to arise because our bodies are gonna be less capable of running processes. And another key electrolyte is magnesium. Magnesium is responsible for over 650 biochemical processes that we're aware of, all right? That's 650 things your body can't do or can't do effectively. It's gonna to have to find another way if we're deficient in magnesium. Guess what the number one mineral deficiency is in our world today? Magnesium. And so that combination, sodium, potassium, magnesium, what's the optimal amount of those things on a daily basis? Well, there's one company that collected a couple hundred thousand data points to find the optimal amount of sodium, potassium, and magnesium. Because again, these things, even if we're eating a whole food diet, there's gonna be a tendency to become deficient, in particular with magnesium, because it's responsible for so much, it's getting zapped from our system to run all these processes that have a lot to do with stress management with our bodies. And they dialed in the optimal combination of these without, here's the key, with electrolytes, without sugar, without the added sugar, without any unnecessary artificial colors. People out here drinking blue. They're out here drinking artificial blue. Right, we're talking about Gatorade, Power, whatever. They're just they're. What what kind what kind do you want? Oh, give me give me the blue, not blueberry, not straw blue. All right, and I'm just being one thousand with you. That was my favorite drink growing up. You know, I'd go to the store, you know, the convenience store. And they had those little juices in the barrels. Some people call them quarter water. Some people call them barrel juices. All right, I love the blue. 
all right? Zero percent fruit, all right? But I didn't want strawberry. I didn't want, you know, watermelon. Give me that blue, all right? What the hell is that blue? Today, we're moving beyond this stuff and we're dialing in again. Another thing too with these electrolytes is that they're going to be acquiring the electrolytes from earth-grown nutrients, all right? So the sourcing and the integrity behind Element is remarkable. Now, just to give you a quick glimpse into how important, we'll just take magnesium is in your cognitive function and your brain health. Again, we're talking about brain health. We're talking about mental health today. A fascinating study. This was recently published in the journal Neuron. This is the leading journal in the field of neurology and neuroscience. They found that magnesium is actually able to restore brain plasticity and improve cognitive function. And this neuroplasticity is essentially the ability of our brain to change and to adapt. That's what we want. We want to be able to be resilient and adaptable. And again, this isn't happening in our brains effectively without magnesium. And researchers at McGill University found that sodium functions as a quote on off switch in the brain for key neurotransmitters that enable cognitive function and also protect the brain from neurodegenerative diseases. Need I say more? Get yourself some Element right now. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model and you also get a free gift pack with every purchase. With every purchase of electrolytes, they're gonna send you a free variety pack to try out the different versions of Element. And by the way, grapefruit Element is back right now. And many people say that grapefruit is their absolute favorite and I just had it for the first time today and I gotta agree, it's a little bit too good. Element, what are you guys doing? Why are you making stuff so good and so easy to optimize our electrolytes? So for a limited time, grapefruit is back. So pop over there, take advantage. I highly recommend checking out the grapefruit salt from Element, go to drink lmnt.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Amazing Practical Advice by Sports Enthusiast 35. This show is amazing. Sean does a fantastic job of breaking complex topics down so you can digest what he's saying and then immediately put that information to practical use in your own life. Honestly, I wish I could give this show more than five stars because that's how amazing it is. Please keep up the phenomenal work. Amazing. Thank you so much. More than five stars. I appreciate that so very much. And if you have to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for the Model Health Show. And without further ado, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Dr. Joseph Yee is a board certified addiction psychiatrist with a specialization in holistic psychiatry and medication detoxification. Graduating as chief resident of psychiatry from Cooper University Hospital, he gained invaluable experience in treating complex psychiatric and addiction cases. In addition to his local practice, Dr. Yi has extended his expertise to a global scale, reaching out to people worldwide through his incredible social media channels. And he's one of my favorite people to follow through the use of humor and art, and he's provided incredible guidance and support to those in need. And now he's here on the Model Health Show to share his incredible experience. I'd like to welcome the one and only Dr. Joseph Yee. My guy, Joe, good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. 
Thank you for coming to hang out with us. Long time in the making. Seriously, I, I gotta tell you, for the people watching this, like I am enamored by the fact that I'm here at the the Model Health Show. Your show is like the Tonight Show of health and wellness. Right? <laughs> so the sad, fact that yeah. I'm here, and you've been asking me for a while to come on your show, it's not that I didn't want to come on, it's that I didn't want to come on after Tony Robbins. Mm, you had Tony Robbins a couple on. months back. I was like, yeah. let that episode cool down, and then I'll come. <laughs> you don't want to be the guy coming on after Tony. So, yeah, happy to he uh, be here, brother. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much. And, you know, today we're talking about the mind. Today we're talking about mental health. And you chose psychiatry as your specialty. Yeah. And I'm curious, first and foremost, what made you choose psychiatry? Oh, it's like that saying, psychiatry chose me. So, <laughs> growing up, you know, I don't, I'm sure you know, but young guns are motivated by money, sex, and social clouts. And I wish I could tell you that I'm someone who wants to be this doctor that could change the world and make the world a better place and all that, but that would be a lie. I, I wanted clouts, I wanted women, and I wanted some money. So, and I grew up in a very poor env environment. I was bullied a lot too. So I figured being a doctor would solve all my problems. So mm -hmm. I studied really hard, had a chip on my shoulder, listened to a lot of Tony Robbins, and uh, that pain empowered me to reach higher in, in the game of life. I got a full scholarship to college, got into med school early, but then when you have lousy reasons like sex, money, and power to <laughs> uh, get through medical school, I came across something called gross anatomy, where I had to open up a dead body, crack the skull, and examine the brain and the trigeminal nerves. And uh, I said, man, this is not for me. So I actually quit medical school and um, left school for about three years. My parents kicked me out. And then I embarked on this uh, musical journey. I want to become a musician. And of course, with the musician lifestyle, drugs are, are a requirement. So I did a lot of uh, marijuana and psychedelics at the time. I got uh, to learn how to deal with very interesting human beings called musicians, <laughs> develop my social skills. Yeah. And then after about three years of that, when you put poison into your body chronically and you're not eating clean and you're not moving your body right, so I got very sick and depressed. And it culminated into one night where I was just like thrown up. Um, because I wasn't eating properly, I was just so sick. And then people were laughing at me in the streets of New York City, like, look at this homeless guy, um, you know, get, get a life, get a job. And I'm like, I graduated top of my class. I got a full scholarship to college. I was a medical student. And now I'm like homeless. Um, and I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to go back to school and I'm gonna do something in the world of mental health and or addictions work. So that's kind of like how it seemed like a natural fit for me to go back with purpose now. Mm. And of course, our good friend Tony Robbins always says purpose equals power. And that allowed me to get back to school and face gross anatomy, a course that I really did not want to do. But I was able to get through it and get through medical school. So that's kind of how it happened. Wow, that's an incredible story, man. I, I had no idea. And it's one of those, as Tony talks about too, that moment of decision. Yours was puking out on the side of a road somewhere, you know, in New York City. And people pointing and, you know, laughing at you yeah. and, you know, not knowing who you are, your potential and coming face to face with that and then choosing to like, let me let me make some changes here. Now, you're going to start operating within a, a, a certain culture if we're talking about healthcare and standard of care. And I'm curious your experience in conventional psychiatry. When did you start to see that? Maybe there were some holes in this system. Maybe there were, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So it's, you know how over the past three years, 
like people like you and me and, uh, and the people watching this uh, podcast, we were like, can people see what's happening? You know, you, you see that all, you hear that all the time. And those were my four years of medical school because I was the, I, I kid you not, I was the only dude in Robert Johnson Medical School that was like, can we not see that there's no talk about health? It's all about disease. It's all about disease care, not health care. And uh, it's a lot about medications and how they mask certain symptoms and help improve uh, and manipulate certain systems of the body to not feel as sick. But there's no really talk about health and fitness. And um, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, less than 20% of all American medical schools require nutrition as a curriculum. And we had this one course in uh, Robert Johnson Medical School called the Biochemistry of Nutrition. It didn't talk about nutrition. It talked about the biochemistry of nutrition, meaning uh, uh, omega-3 fatty acids, this is what the molecular structure looks like. Memorize this for your test. So it was a bunch of that. And I was the only one complaining to amongst my, my peers, like, this is, you know, do you, you, don't, you don't see anything wrong with this. And they didn't care. They're just like, look, man, we got to study for the boards. Like, I don't have time to listen to you. So um, that was the beginning of that. And then once I graduated uh, from medical school and into residency, I got connected with this doctor. I read this book called uh, Disease Proof Your Child by uh, Dr. Joel Furman. I don't know if you've ever interviewed him, but he's a nutritarian uh, family doctor. He wrote the book uh, Eat to Live and um, talks about a very clean, nutrient-dense lifestyle. And very basic things for you and the audience listen to this. But at the time, it was revolutionary. And that was the first time that I understood that food can be medicine. And that was kind of like how that journey began. Wow. Yeah, of course, you know, this being the Tonight Show of Health Podcast, yeah. Joel's team reached out, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, just, just thinking about those seemingly happy accidents where you come across work like that, but you were already questioning things. That's one of the things that I admire about you and how we even connected. I was like, this dude is like actually asking questions. He's questioning not just yourself, you also question your own biases and you even make parodies about you questioning things and questioning things that are commonly accepted and making fun of those things. And you know, you just mentioned something really remarkable, which is not being taught nutrition in medical school, yeah. which every organ and tissue of the body is made of the food that we eat. So you would think this is kind of important. If I'm gonna be a cardiologist, I probably wanna know what the heart is actually made of. like the foods that this patient is eating to make their tissues. But to, you shared just maybe 20%, and even the nutrition that they are taught is to say subpar is an understatement. And so with that being said, so now you're making this, this shift and you're starting to actually work with people. What are you seeing in the population um, at the beginning of your career and what were some of the, the, the treatment protocols? Were drug reps coming to your office? I'm yeah. just curious. So what I've learned early on in my medical practice is that, and I've been practicing for about 18 plus years now, is that a lot of what we learned in the books are not very accurate in clinical practice. So for example, um, I am a detox specialist. I, I, I make a living uh, from helping people come off of psychiatric medications mostly and illicit substances as well. There's some people who just don't want to be on Zoloft anymore, but it's really hard to come off. So the way we were trained in medical school is there's this uh, book called the, um, the Psychopharmacology Handbook, the Prescription Handbook, and it's by this doctor, Stephen Stahl. I actually met the dude. I read the book. I was a big fan of his work, and this is like the psychiatric bible of uh, psychopharmacology. In this book, it talks about how if you are on a medication 
and you want to taper someone off of it, you drop the dose by about 50% for three days and then another 50% for three days and then you discontinue that medication. So basically he's saying that you could come off a of medication within a week. And um, when I started practicing that way in real life, people started going bonkers. And then so I had this one moment with with a client early on in my career where he's like, I feel like I'm going crazy. And I said, no, 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 wait, the psychiatric Bible said that this is the way to do it. And he's like, I don't care what the Bible says, man. I feel like hell and we got to slow this down. And then we, we went back and forth and I just had this moment where I asked myself, should I listen to the guy that wrote the book or should I listen to the patient who's actually going through this? And so I uh, elected to listen to the guy, I, I uh, work with him very closely, and I discovered that, um, sure, some people could come off of medications like within like a week or so, but it really, what, what this book fails to acknowledge is how hard it is to come off of medication is based on several factors. One being how much you're taking and for how long. You know, if you remember algebra back in the day, um, the, the y-axis would represent the dosage and the x would be the time length, right? So if someone's on a huge dose of a drug for an extended period of time, that surface area is the magnitude of pain you would have to uh, you know, overcome to get, uh, to get through this uh, uh, taper or the detox. Now, if someone's on a low dose of drug for a few weeks, yeah, of course, you could get off it in about a week or so. So I've learned things like that that the books didn't teach me via listen to the client. So I learned very early on, like, okay, a lot of stuff that I learned from the school that didn't even teach me about nutrition and fitness and medicine, uh, food as a medicine, maybe I might want to listen to some alternative sources to see how I could become a better doctor. So that's one of the first things that I learned uh, early on in my practice and career. Wow, man. And just to even have that as a specialty is, it's an incredible resource just for people listening. And you mentioned prescription medications and illicit drugs as well. So you're helping folks who are you know, obviously one of the biggest epidemics we're facing right now is with opioids and in particular fentanyl. So what is the current situation you're seeing with that? Yeah, that's, uh, that is happening. But because of people like you, Sean, who I consider to be a very serious light worker, more and more people are catching on to the fact that there are better ways to take care of your mind, body, spiritual health by taking care of yourself. So, the, you know, podcasts like yours and others out there, it's really making a significant impact where people come in and say, look, I've been listening to Sean Model and I feel a lot better and I don't want to be on Prozac and Zoloft anymore. So then when that happens, um, yeah, we, we do these, um, you know, small incremental tapers over an extended period of time. So that's mostly what I do. But yes, of course, the fentanyl epidemic is a big deal. You, of course, know that in 2021, it was the first time that the United States passed 100,000 drug overdose fatalities. And 70 to 80% of that was from fentanyl. And now we got this big thing in Philadelphia because I'm from the East Coast. Uh, I don't know if you heard of something called xylazine, but xylazine, um, X-Y-L-A-Z-I-N-E. And they get these ingredients from all over the world, like mostly from China that produces this chemical called xylazine. And it's an animal tranquilizer. And this thing is like a powerhouse uh, anesthesia that you mix that in with like a little bit of fentanyl or a little bit of a Xanax, it gives this potentiated um, sedative effect. And when people shoot this up, um, not only do they get really high, but, and obviously offers them a complete escape from reality, but it causes uh, dead skin cells too, necrosis of the, of the skin lesions. So um, people are like getting their like uh, fingers and their hands amputated. 
it's a very ugly thing that's happened in Philadelphia right now, xylosine. Yeah, it's been all over the news too. So crazy, crazy. You know, as soon as you said that animal tranquilizer, I thought about the scene from old school where Will Ferrell shoots himself in the neck with the animal tranquilizer <laughs> dart. Hey, hey, be careful with that. That's the most powerful trank gun on the market. Huh, got her in Mexico. Cool. Yeah, it is cool. They say it can puncture the skin of a rhino from a hundred. Ow! Oh! oh. Yes! That's awesome! What? You just took one in the jugular, man! Ha. Whoa! Yes! <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god, I did! Is this bad? Is this bad? You should pull that out. That is not cool. Wait! Wait! Pull out. The dart, man. Got a dart in your neck. You're crazy. You're crazy, man. You're crazy. I like you. But you're crazy. I'm so tired. I thought about that, you know, it's kind of... It's kind of comical that we would turn to something like that, but in reality, humans do the strangest things and we have an issue with looking at the results, mm. right? So seeing this epidemic, even with, with fentanyl, for example, where, and you know, again, this is readily available, it being the leading cause of death for people in their quote, prime of life years, yeah. between 18 and, and 45. And if it's the number one cause for younger people, number one cause of death in our country, in our society, you would think it would get a lot more attention. But unfortunately, we're focused on things that are not remotely as deadly, as yeah. you know. And this brings to light, and again, this is, I'm grateful that you're even mentioning that because I had no idea. You know we're not watching the news out here like that. Yeah. But eventually when something lands, you know, hits my radar and I dig into it, I find, again, there's somebody that's monetizing suffering. Yeah. Right. And that's really the system that we have right now. Uh, yes. And um, I was actually thinking about this. I'm glad you brought this up because uh, I, I mean this. A friend of mine, uh, we were talking about what could we do to like if we had absolute power like Kim Jong Un in North Korea and we could revitalize the system, like revamp the system, like what could we do to like really make it better, uh, make healthcare a legit healthcare system. Right. And uh, the one thing that I really think that we need to get rid of is to incentivize these doctors to do these lousy 15-minute med checks. You and I both know that you can't get nothing done in 15 minutes when it comes to like health and wellness. Like you're gonna really talk to someone about nutrition and wellness in 15 minutes. You have 15 minutes to go over a med check, raise, change, lower medication dose. But the system incentivizes that. So for example, my nephew is about to enter into Carnegie Mellon University. $85,000 a year room board tuition? Come on, man, 85,000? So he's gonna uh, graduate uh, 300,000 plus in the hole, assuming he even goes to medical school, half a million plus in the hole, residency, he's making pennies on the dollar. Um, so when he becomes a young attending physician, he's gonna be in a system where, okay, you see a patient for one hour, let's just say, say he goes in psychiatry, uh, he can make 300 bucks by seeing a patient for, for an hour, or 
he can make 150 for every 15 minute med checks. So he's gonna do the math and he's gonna say, okay, I'm in a shit ton of debt and I could uh, make 600 bucks in an hour seeing four patients or I could make $300 in an hour. Um, I think he's a good dude, but he's gonna have to make an executive decision where like his survival needs needs to be met. So anyhow, my point being is the system incentivizes these 15 minute metrics. And, and I, if I had absolute supreme power, I would abolish that and at least require like a 30 to 45 minute uh, visits with a health professional, one. Uh, two, just like how I was talking about how in medical school, nutrition and fitness is not a requirement. I think we should mandate nutrition and fitness as a core requirement because that's where we get into true healing that's that that's where we really get into healthcare, not sick care so that's another part uh and and there's hardly any teachings of that in medical school that is true when people the, the holistic wellness guys are complaining about it they're absolutely right it is true and last but not least this may sound a little silly but i am serious as cancer about this in order for you to have a license to practice medicine you have to pass a series of board exams right um, I also think that we should mandate passing a physical fitness exam. Um, you can't ha look. One of my early days, I w was invited by a drug rep, and, and it was like a doctor social, and they're pitching this drug. And the doctor that was sitting next to me, I swear to God, man, he must have been at least 340 pounds. I was thinking the whole time, when was the last time this man saw his own penis? Um, you got so my my proposal is have uh, in order for you to be practicing and have a license you have to have a BMS, bmi of under 27. i think that's reasonable man 27 under 27 one um and other fitness tests like um can you do, see your penis i could see my pen, penis very well yes not you but just <laughs> being one of the tests <laughs> yes he yes. said very well yeah. <laughs> you could, yeah you gotta check that uh, or even like um run a 10 minute mile that's reasonable sean you should be able to do that or like 20 push-ups in under a minute. So basic physical physical fitness tests and then every two years um, have the, the doctors come back and pass the fitness exam instead of just the continuing medical education credits. You know, so I think if we did that, then doctors would be more incentivized and more likely to talk about health and wellness and fitness than just doing the, the bare minimum to make as much bank as possible. That's powerful, man. Ironically, we have these physical fitness tests for people who are armed with guns and assigned to go kill people. I'm talking about, you know, military and in that context, but not for those who are here to heal people. Hmm. And if you really think about it, I and this is the craziest thing, man. Ironically, it's the exact opposite. In healthcare, you know, working at a university for so long, I worked with a lot of nurses as well, just like seeing their health just exponentially get worse over time and you know with the classes and the clinicals and all this stuff and just struggling having to have a part-time job as they're going through all this stuff and sacrificing their health and really making sleep deprivation a badge of honor stress right you tear your own health and well-being apart and if you happen to make it out because you're young seemingly physically unscathed like you look fit quote fit hmm. but your mental health is just absolutely demolished yeah like that's what we're seeing here in in the field of medicine it's one of the most riddled with disease fields, in particular with nurses, higher rates of cancer, in particular breast cancer, higher rates of obesity, diabetes. These are the facts. With physicians, it's either number one or two highest rates of addiction mm. and use of, and also you got accessibility. Yeah. You know, use of drugs and alcohol, and just trying to, again, my, the me mental management and not having those skills taught in medical school. 
what if we create a system where we can heal the healer in the process, you know, and having people really armed with true tools of wellness, but you just articulated it very plainly. We're getting into this system where you come out and you're just, you're trying to survive yourself yeah. and you're thrust into this system where you've got to try to do what's best economically and not so much what's best for the patient. Yeah, I see that all the time, man. And uh, interesting, you mentioned that about uh, doctors and addiction. And um, I'm seeing, I don't know if you're recognizing this amongst like your clients or the people all around you, but addiction is like, there's this like whole addiction epidemic that, um, the silent addiction epidemic that I don't think people are really talking about. But have you noticed that technology is kind of um, creeping its way in and, um, I, I do believe that people could use technology for the better, but have you noticed that it ha is a major contributing force to addiction all throughout the world? And if I could talk a little bit about that, because I am an addiction psychiatrist, and uh, this is what I'm kind of getting people to think about. People have been using substances since the beginning of time. <laughs> you know, there is plenty of archaeological evidence that suggests that uh, marijuana, psilocybin, you know, they've been using it for uh, ceremonial purposes and so on. But more recently in the history of humanity, there's been this like shift from use towards abuse and addiction. And um, I'm seeing that technology being the major catalyst of, uh, for this uh, on three different levels. One is that technology has allowed for the mass production of all these substances. Back in the day, people used to like grow tobacco leaves and roll it up and smoke it. And nowadays you have Marlboro and Camels and, you know, packs, not only that uh, in mass production, but the vape pens readily available everywhere. So technology has allowed for the mass production of all these substances, alcohol, everything. One, two is that technology has allowed for the potentiation um, and increased concentration of these substances. So I don't know if you're aware, but back in the Bob Marley days, marijuana used to be uh, the bud used to be about four percent thc in concentration uh, in, in concentration four percent um nowadays with these vape pens it, thc concentration up to 90 percent and for these developing minds man that's a little bit too much for the mind to handle and uh, your boy dr daniel amen was here not too long ago and he talks about decreased cerebral blood flow to the brain from marijuana use uh that's no good so it's really hurting a lot of people at this intensity and last but not least, like we we're talking about before, technology has allowed for the creation of synthetic chemicals like fentanyl and or xylocene and what else is coming on down the pipe pipeline. So, yeah, I do believe that technology is a major catalyst, but also it's technology plus the human being, because there are people like you who could use a phone very responsibly. And there are other people who, um, you know, irresponsibly abuse the phone, get addicted to it. And, you know, it, they have very adverse life consequences as a result mm, man it's so important man because you know even with daniel amen making a statement about that with marijuana especially in the developing brain and the multiple studies that we now have and it increasing the risk of psychosis you know a lot of folks of course you know you you something is very polarizing because again you just mentioned marijuana has been around a long time and use ceremonial whatever the case may might be and humans have had we even have these you know, uh, cannabinoid receptors, right? Mm -hmm. However, the stuff that people are smoking today is not the same stuff. And you just said <laughs> the Bob Marley uh, age, right? Yeah. And so if you think about that in the developing brain, especially, we have to be open and honest to say like, maybe this isn't good for our children. Whereas, you know, he shares a message like that. 
and people sometimes, you know, because maybe it's been a staple in their life and they don't see any harm in all the things, they'll say that, you know, it's it's bullshit, it's just made up. It's the, it's the man making up another study that, you know, Mother Earth has made. The Mother Earth didn't make that 90%, you know, like, and here's the thing too, you know, a lot of times if you click onto their page, they're like selling vape pens, you know, it's like, that's their, that's their oh, stick, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't tend to, to look into that stuff very much, but I, I never, I've never seen anything as polarizing even with all the COVID stuff, I didn't see that much polarization. Oh, people love their weed, the, huh? Yeah. They don't want to yeah. let that go. And again, you've got you've to keep this stuff in context. Certain things are appropriate for some people at some times. And we have to give ourselves permission to understand that everybody's not the same. Just because you have this certain experience does not mean that this is appropriate for other people. And especially if we get into this place where we see a large data set of negative outcomes for children, I think we can even get to a place at least just acknowledge like, maybe this isn't the best for kids and yeah. the developing brain, then we can start to have a healthier conversation. And again, still not to say that that isn't appropriate for some kid who this actually helped to manage the symptom, whatever the case might be. Yeah. But, you know, and this is also leading into the conversation I wanna have with you about other modalities that are oftentimes misunderstood, you know, um, I want to share this study. I don't know if you've seen this one yet. It just came out like two months ago. Yeah. You've mentioned diet and exercise being like hallmarks of mental health. This was published in the BMJ. No big deal. You know, it's just one of the top journals in the world. This is a meta-analysis. This included 1,039 randomized trials. Right. One thousand Over 1,000 studies. Okay. And this included also over 130,000 participants. And it revealed that physical activity is 1.5 times more effective at reducing mild to moderate symptoms of depression, psychological stress, and anxiety than medication or psychotherapy. All right. Yeah. Not to say those things aren't appropriate for some people sometimes, but physical activity is something our genes expect. It is something our cells require. And it's documented over a thousand studies to be more effective than that other shit. But yet this isn't talked about. Oh, I got a funny story for you, man. This is a true story. People listen to this, they're, they're, they're going to be in disbelief. Several years ago, I was at the American Psychiatric Association and the annual meeting, and I'm required to attend this thing so I could keep my license and all. And the, the president of the APA came out and he was talking about how there's like, we're funding all this research to uh, investigate gabapen and his role in like depression and bipolar disorder and all that. We got some really exciting things coming your way. So I rose my hand and I said, are there any um, fundings for research that proves that nutrition and fitness is great for mental health and addiction recovery? And the guy basically paused and he said, well, as of now, there is no research down the pipeline um, investigating these factors. But if you could prove, if you could send me some articles that proves the link between fitness and nutrition in mental health and or addiction recovery, I'll be happy to look into it. This is the president of the American Psychiatric mm. Association. So I guess we could send him that article and say, there you go, bro. You could um, do some work now. That's crazy. Uh, but that's that's a true story. That's and crazy. this is uh, the system that we're working on. So. I do believe that there are a lot of people that are listening to this that are catching on that like, okay, there's something not right with this Western system. There's got to be a better holistic way of doing so. And that's great. But the other thing that I just want to bring up real quick is that I think certain holistic influencers do mess things up a little bit. Like the guys that are talking about like water is not hydrating. Come on, man. Like you've, I don't know if you've seen this going around, 
But there, and if they want to make the argument that okay, you want to drink coconut water or get your water from fruits because there's certain minerals and electrolytes that help enhance the absorption, fine. But you can't say that water is not hydrating. Like if you're in a desert and you're dying of thirst, you're not going to drink a bottle of water. Uh, and then, and then you got the, um, the the meat eaters, the carnivores, who's saying like vegetables will kill you. You know these plant defense chemical chemicals will mess up your thyroid and your kidneys. Uh, let's not forget all the other nutrients that are in the vegetables too. Let's just like forget about that. And then there are people now, you know, the vegans saying, well, if you eat meat, then there's mRNA technology in there, and you're going to die from that. So like. Everything is bad now, and I can see how <laughs> the layman could look at this and be yeah. like, "Yo, man, forget health and wellness. This is too confusing." Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you had these guys on your show, man. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, past the cavassier. I don't want to deal with none of this stuff. All right, so, <laughs> and you you just really brought up a really important thing for us to understand. This is one of the things that I always work to do, is to intentionally bring on multiple perspectives yeah. because a lot of times what happens is with any of these guys is they'll find success with a certain protocol and they'll think it's appropriate for everybody yeah that's the problem the same thing with the drugs like keep reiterating this point but we can find healing we can find benefit in a lot of these different things at certain times for certain people and so if you've been struggling for years with gastrointestinal issues and depression and then you do the carnivore diet and you have a resolution and you feel good and you have no more gut problems and your mental health is better than it's been since you know you can remember that's a validation for you that that thing is effective for you right now but you've got to give yourself permission to keep the window open don't become so dogmatic and biased that you start to you know put up the the crucifix at brussels sprouts just like you know yeah. these brussels sprouts are gonna kill they're out here killing everybody on the streets and here's the funniest thing about all of this is that most of us agree more than we disagree, right? Hallmarks, healthy amounts of movement, good sleep quality, eating real foods, regardless of the category we place them in mentally. That's the thing about humans. We, we sometimes get too smart for our own good and we start categorizing all these foods versus things that are not food, yeah. which is the majority of what we're eating today. Yep. That's the problem. Yep. We're, we're infighting about what real food is the best real food and ignoring the fact that, according to the BMJ again, no big deal. What do they know? Yeah. Over 60% of the average American's diet is ultra processed foods. It's not food anymore. Yeah. So again, I think that regardless of the tribalism, like this is this is the real issue. Yeah. Hence, the 42% of Americans are obese now. Yeah. And this I was prior to the pandemic, by the way. Yeah. And brother, I saw some obese uh, homeless people in LA. I don't understand that's how even possible, but. It's possible here yeah. in America, yeah. That's, I've talked about that too. You know, the obesity uh, within the, our homeless populations are really on par with the rest of society. Hmm. That's never existed before, you know. Traditionally, if you think of someone who's homeless, like they're lacking nutrition, they're lacking food. You know, we think of like the Game of Thrones type of homeless person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like, can you expect? No, no, like they're, they, they're eating out here, yeah. you know? But they're eating ultra processed foods. And so again, maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's doing something very strange with our metabolism. And also, you know, this speaks to the fact that we're over consuming, but we're also deeply deprived and, and, and starving. Our cells are starving. Yeah. And also our minds are starving for real quality, like even quality thinking. And so I wanna ask you about this because you brought up the technology addiction and being that all of us, we have these, we have these devices with yeah. us, you know, for many of us 24 seven, 
it's our it's our best friend you know you lose your phone you lose your mind yeah. literally you know yeah. and being so focused on what's going on through this small rectangle and viewing life through this and starting to perceive life differently through this perceive yourself differently through this how is our addiction to our phones and social media how is that affecting our mental health today yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with this, uh, the work of a social psychologist by the name of Dr. Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, I think I'm pronouncing it right, Haidt, but uh, he's a social psychologist out in NYU, and uh, you should have him on, uh, on on your show. He was the guy behind the um, that Netflix, the, uh, well, they, there was that documentary on like the social dilemma, and he was one of the guys behind that. But what he talks about, and this is like super interesting, is that Facebook came out in 2006, 2007 was when the iPhone came out and then 2010 was when half of our country had both social media and the phone together right and then from when you look at 2010 over a decade to 2020 uh, that was on average about a hundred percent increase in suicide rates amongst uh, teenage girls and uh, when you see the graph and the correlation of social media to these rates, it is startling when you see that together. So he's the guy that caught on to that. A lot of people are like, why are these kids all like, you know, going bonkers and stuff? Um, and it's not so much the males, but more the females. And what he said is that guys are like more into like the porn and the video games. Girls are more into social media and comparing themselves to other people. And nowadays these kids are getting their like sense of self-worth and their dopamine fixed through their likes and the views. So yeah, man. Um, and I've talked to a lot of women about this too. It's like women are always comparing themselves to other people, checking out the dress. Women check out women more than guys do. So when you're always comparing yourself to someone who has a filter or someone who's at a better party, who has more money, the better boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, um, it could be a pretty depressing situation. So yeah, I see that as a major, major issue. And um, I wanna give you a quick little story from my, my clientele. Cause when I asked these kids uh, or the adults for that matter, like how much time are you spending on your phone? And the average um, is about seven hours in our country, somewhere around seven hours of screen time. Um, they are, my clients are averaging about 10, 11. And there's this one kid uh, who says, I don't look at my phone. So I said, okay, do you, do you play video games? We tracked his video game time. Uh, it's like 14 hours a day. Like, how's that possible? Like wow. with sleep and everything too. Like he just has it on the whole time. And these kids are not, um, back in the day, I'm sure you used to ride bicycles with your friends and throw and play kickball or dodgeball, whatever your neighborhood. When was the last time you seen kids out in the, in the neighborhood playing and playing and, and engaging physically together? They're literally in uh, neighboring uh, places playing video games with their headsets on. You know, right. limited uh, physical interaction. Or even in the same room. Yeah, yeah. There's, quote, play dates, which that's a new terminology. We just played. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> can, 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 can Rico come out and play? You know, he wasn't like, you know, hey, Rico, you want to have a play date? You know yeah. what I mean? It was, it's a different thing. But no, no disrespect to that. But you're, you're so right, man. Like, there are several small kids who live on my block. Boy, you hardly mm -hmm. ever see these kids outside. There's one family that will be outside, you oh, know, yeah. their, their little kids playing. But for the most part, a lot these kids are just indoors, you know, unless they have like a specific activity that their parents signed them up for, you know, and there's obviously multiple reasons behind this. There's a, a fear, there's a safety thing. Man, you know, 
there, there, there was like a looming thing when I was a kid about, you know, like kidnapping and things like that and very real things and that any parent is afraid of. But just to think about the level of freedom that I had, you know, we just were outside, you yeah. know, and for the most part, we're we're OK, we're safe and, you know, just be home before the streetlights come on that whole phenomenon. Today, we, we know what can happen. We might have experienced things ourselves and we want to really keep our kids close and really in many ways over parent or overprotect them to the degree that they become deficient in the ability to I was just talking about this with Caroline Leaf who you met mm. today uh, about uh, becoming more fragile right mm. so not being able to really develop resilience and so what do we do we go more into technology we go more into social media turn off that struggle that we're facing and not being able to process our own thoughts process our emotions and have our thoughts fed to us essentially through these apps through these the social media yeah. and getting to this place where then what and this is where I want to ask you about next now that I'm feeling so deficient so disconnected so unworthy right or whatever the whatever the label might be I now I'm turning to the medical paradigm for help I'm really I'm addicted to social media and I'm my mind is now trained to see through this lens of reality my perception of reality is distorted yeah but now I'm coming to my yeah. doctor and telling them that I'm depressed and anxious. Yeah, there, are, there. So there are a lot of people who are socially malnourished, and uh, that is a big problem because uh, technology has allowed us to connect with people a lot easier, but it's made it never so much more difficult for us to give a shit and care about one another. So it's like this, like very empty sense of connection. So a lot of people are socially malnourished, uh, and I don't think you're gonna like where I'm going with this, Sean. But I'm gonna say it anyway. But that's why I believe that um, we, of course, know that in psychiatry, a lot of what we do is like masking symptoms and band-aiding wounds. It's not really curing much. So if someone has an acute panic attack, I give them a medication that chills out the anxiety. Um, it's like a band-aid for a bleeding wound. We need, just need to chill out the bleeding until we can get to the core root of why you're bleeding in the first place. So that's what a lot of psychiatry is. And I think psychiatry and the medications can be helpful for some people sometimes, but it's not really curing anything. But Having established that, um, uh, I'm sure you know that there's a whole wave of uh, ketamine treatment that's on the rise. And just to be clear, when I first heard that ketamine was being used for uh, as an antidepressant, especially for like treatment-resistant depression, um, I laughed at it because back in the day when I was a homeless musician, I was doing a lot of ecstasy and ketamine and <laughs> you named the drug, I was snorting it and putting up my body. And so I was like, no, there's no way in my good consciousness that I would actually like promote ketamine and like offer this as a treatment for depression. But um, one of my closest friends who's a hardcore holistic psychiatrist, um, he's been doing ketamine treatment and offering to his patients. He's like, bro, like you need to get trained in this. Whether you want it, you want to do it for yourself or not, at least have that as an option for, your, for the clients. And uh, when I uh, trained in ketamine starting last October of 2020, 22 i saw certain things man that really allowed me the opportunity to face what's in my subconsciousness that just been hiding under there and do the work and truly heal myself so when you're talking about like people need a difference in perspective i do feel like psychedelics offer a, a, a tremendous opportunity and i'm very um hopeful about this to get people to see things from a different uh light and uh, real quick, I, I want to give you an example. Like I, I was, I came out open on my Instagram lives about this, but I was a longtime cigarette smoker, and I've tried a lot of substances. But the one thing that was my Achilles' heel was tobacco and nicotine. 
And then uh, more recently, I switched from tobacco to the vape pen, thinking that that would be the safer, less addicting option. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I mean, the conversion was like exponentially more nicotine in my system because you could smoke it indoors and all this stuff. So uh, my wife and my kids uh, would say, look, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Uh, my partners would say like, look, man, you're a board certified addiction psychiatrist. You shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. And, you know, like I would preach about health and wellness to my Instagram family and without them knowing that, like, I had this, like, terrible affliction. And, you know, when I did that psychedelic experience I um, with ketamine, when I was training in there, I found myself in a basement somewhere in a dungeon chained up. Right. And it was it was not a very pleasant sight. And I saw some demonic figure come in and handing me the vape pen. And I saw myself bowing down and accepting this thing and smoking it. And when I came out of that chip, I said, wow, uh, evil has evolved. Uh, people would think that the devil is someone who has pointy ears, red with a pointy tail and a black trench coat, and um, you know, trying to kill people or hurt people. But evil has evolved to the point where it doesn't have to kill you if it could get you to kill yourself. And nowadays with porno pornography, uh, social media addiction, fentanyl, these vape pens, it, it, evil has evolved to the point where it's getting people to hurt themselves to the point where they're killing themselves and destroying their lives. So once I recognize that, I've never touched it again. So I'm like about 150 days clean now. So, um, but, but I have to say that out of decades of doing this kind yeah. of stuff, this was the first time that I was able to stop uh, using the, the nicotine vape pen. So it gave me a different perspective yeah. and allowed me to really like change. Yeah, man, thank you for sharing that because that's another thing about you where a lot of us, you know, we've seen this stuff where people, we, we basically hide the things that are not congruent with our persona. Yeah. And you're somebody who I immediately saw, like, this is a, this is a real person. And, you know, to, to share even that dark thing, that, that thing that you're struggling, we're doing all this other stuff right too. That's another thing that we'll tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, this is my, this is my Achilles heel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, here's the thing what that is doing is giving the opportunity to address the root right yeah. and this is another funny another correlation with caroline leaf and you know so often we're trying to trim the hedges we're trying to treat symptoms but like what is at the root of this behavior and or what is what is at the root what am i perceiving about this thing that's keeping me doing the thing that's hurting me mm. and if we can't get face to face with that because we're numbing the thing or we're prescribing something that treats the symptom it's, it's still there. It's still there just burning in the background and eventually it's going to light the house on fire. Yeah. You know, and so whether we're turning to through whatever our deficiency is, deficiency is community, connection, nutrition, movement, the basic tenets of life, the sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the sun's going to kill you too. Um, but then, you know, we turn to, again, we, ha we have these actual deficiencies here, and then we turn to conventional medicine. Oh, wait, you just have a chemical imbalance. You know, just let me prescribe this, and you're going to be fine. Or we self-medicate. Yeah. That's the other thing I want to ask you about. We'll turn to uh, other addictive substances and seek solace through that. Mm. Or we'll turn to fake food, yeah. whatever the case might be. And so from your experience, you know, there's a lot of also self-medication yeah. going on right now mm -hmm. and people are losing themselves in that and they're not really addressing the root cause. Yeah, uh, of course. And, um, you know, ultimately people aren't stupid at the end of the day. They do a drug or an alcohol for a reason. It's always to either feel better, alleviate pain, discomfort in some way or to enhance performance. So there's always a reason why people are doing it. 
But um, my goodness, like I um, I just came back from an ayahuasca uh, ceremony, and <laughs> and I'm really into the psychedelics, as, as you could tell. But uh, it's illegal here, just for the for the people to know. Uh, ayahuasca contains a psychoactive compound called DMT, so it's illegal here. It's a Schedule One narcotic. Apparently, there's no um, medicinal benefits for it, and it's highly addictive, according to our government. But so you got to go overseas for something like this. And uh, when I was uh, hanging out with the shaman up in the mountains in the jungle somewhere, and we did the ayahuasca ceremony, and it was me and like four other people that were doing this together. And when we were in the, the, the trip, the psychedelic experience, and ayahuasca is at another level of a psychedelic experience than like ketamine or psilocybin or some of the, the people, the audience here are into that kind of stuff. And uh, when people were like borderline seizing on the ground and other people are puking and I'm just here like, my goodness, I can't believe like this is happening, whatever I was processing, because ayahuasca has this like higher consciousness and it's like giving you downloads and what you need to see and what you need to work on and so on. Um, what I really respected about the shaman was he just allowed me to, and everyone else, to just deal with it and face whatever we're, we're experiencing. And one of the issues that I'm having with, um, and maybe there's a little bit of a harsh stance, but I think people are going to ultimately change through, you know, 20% of the time through inspiration and 80% out of desperation or like some crazy happening in their lives so one of the things that i learned from the shaman was like look uh you could do your best to try to influence people to reach higher in the game of life but ultimately they're going to come to their own conclusions through the universe or life like they will have to face their own uh demons and like learn and grow from that so um when it comes to like the way i treat clients i used to spend so much of my time and energy trying to convince these people that eating healthy sleeping right exercising and stimulating their mind and connecting with the right people is the right way to go and you know what, man? 20% of the time, I'm successful. 80%, it's usually they get into some crazy ass car accident. They get in trouble with the law. Something happens. Their wife leaves them because they're drinking too much. That's when they really choose to change. Now, maybe you might have a better conversion rate through your show. And people are like, you know what, man? I want to look like Sean Model and I want to start eating better and taking better care of myself. But the vast majority of the cases, um, people just want to numb up their pain and discomfort through these um, short-term the helpful chemicals and then long-term wise they realize that they develop a tolerance it's not really doing the thing that it did initially and they go through enough stuff and then they come to their own conclusion they're like okay i gotta start taking better care of myself the issue that i'm the, the thing that i'm seeing now is that a lot of times people seem to do the right things at the wrong time so um that's one of the things that i'm hoping through my social media and through your podcast and so on that we get the message out there to like let's just keep it very simple and make the initiative to take better care of themselves. It, it's not that difficult to do. Mm, right, yeah, that's the, that's the ironic part. Got a quick break coming up, we'll be right back. Did you know that there's a spice in your spice cabinet that can very likely improve your insulin sensitivity and help you to burn more fat? This spice has been utilized for thousands of years and now today we've got tons of peer-reviewed evidence showing how incredible it is for so many aspects of human health. I'm talking about the renowned spice turmeric. Now turmeric is actually in the ginger family, but it has its own claim to fame today. And researchers at the Department of Neurology at USC found that one of the active ingredients in turmeric, curcumin, is able to help eliminate amyloid plaque in the brain, slow down the aging of our brain cells, and also help to remove heavy metals and reduce inflammation in the brain. 
by the way, I'm talking about its impact on body fat, turmeric has been found to both improve insulin sensitivity, reduce blood fats, and directly act upon our fat cells. And to take it up one more mental notch, research published in the Journal of Ethnopharmacology points to turmeric's potential to reduce both anxiety and depression. Turmeric functions like a Swiss army knife for human health and benefits. And today, more than ever, people are going beyond the casual curry and doing one of the most remarkable teas that you're going to find, and that is having a turmeric latte. And my favorite turmeric latte, my favorite turmeric drink is coming from Organifi Gold. And this is because it also has other biopotentiators that make turmeric work even better in the human body. I'm talking about cinnamon, I'm talking about ginger, and also here's the thing that makes Organifi's gold so remarkable. It also has the medicinal mushroom reishi, which according to research published in Pharmacology, Biochemistry and Behavior, they found that reishi was able to decrease our sleep latency, meaning that we fall asleep faster, it was found to improve our overall sleep time and also improve our deep sleep time and light sleep time. So our REM sleep and non-REM sleep, pretty remarkable. So I highly encourage you to check out this incredible Organifi Gold Blend. Go to Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model. You get 20% off their incredible gold blend as well as their green juice blend, their red juice blend, and actually store wide. So definitely take advantage of this and make yourself your own turmeric latte. I love the turmeric blend, the Organifi Gold with some almond milk or milk of your choice. Warm it up if you're feeling spicy. And it's one of those things that really helps to add another layer to your health and well-being. Check them out. Go to Organifi.com forward slash model for 20% off. And now back to the show. Now, word of advice, you don't want to work with the shaman who got his online certifications six weeks. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for, for, first and foremost, but also, you know, this speaks to the different uh, aspects of the human experience and different tools. And this is something that's been utilized for thousands of years. Yeah. And this is not an advocation for, for anything, by the way. I'm not even advocating to eat real food. If you want to <laughs> eat a Twinkie, so be it. You know, it's probably in your best interest to eat real food. But, you know, for us to, to realize that there are far more options for treating our issues. And you just said one of the most remarkable things uh, in this conversation, which is most of the time we don't change until things are bad enough, you know, which is a very strange thing about humans. Inspiration, it can hit and we can do a thing. But when things are just kind of bad, you know, well, well, maybe I should walk a little bit. Okay, whatever. But until you, what if you lose the ability to walk or, yeah. you know, you have an injury or, you know, like you just said, some life crisis takes place. Of course, yeah, I've seen people much more motivated in those contexts. Yeah. But ultimately, again, it's finding a way through to get to the root cause of why we're hurting ourselves. Yeah. And so if it's through, sometimes that can happen in conventional treatments. You know, it's not off limits there. And then we've got this psychedelic treatment model that's emerging right now, which is so interesting because this has been around so long and now it's kind of having this resurgence. But really what I want to talk about as well is why is the other system so pervasive? So that's that's so ineffective. Why is it so pervasive? And so in your practice, I know you mentioned like going to a, a, uh, an event where you had drug reps and you were like, you know, sit next to the guy or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. I don't 
a lot of people don't have that experience of like running a practice and doing the day-to-day stuff. Once you get out of medical school, you know, we have these continuing education things. Who's really teaching our physicians about treatment? You know, is it some prestigious institution with all of this science to back it up? Or is it drug reps who are coming to your office and passing out pamphlets and inviting you to fancy dinners? Yeah, yeah. Most doctors are not like me and Dr. Daniel uh, Daniel Amen, who like to look into their independent other researches, alternative researches on like health and wellness and so on. But a lot of the doctors, they just um, what I'm observing is that there are a lot of doctors that are just very burnt out. So rather than like after work doing some other independent reading and so on, the last thing they want to do is think about health and wellness and things of that nature. So. Uh, they do get a lot of the information from the drug reps about the new new medications. So that is true. And um, Big Pharma is very clever, man. I got to tell you, like, I'm, I'm laughing telling the story, but like, they're very clever in the way they go about. It's like they put in all this money into researching, like, okay, how do we get attention uh, from male doctors? Because a lot of the doctors don't want to talk to the drug reps. So they hire like the, these IG model, like, um, you know, women who... Uh, <laughs> get dressed up as drug reps and I guess they get some training and they come and um, they entice the doctors into listening to whatever they have to say. And this happens all the time. Like, it, like are these people following my Instagram? Like, are they seeing like who I'm following? What kind of people I'm into? But it is pretty shocking how they send uh, very lovely, attractive women to try to get a few minutes in to pitch their drug because most doctors won't want to talk to uh, and listen about the new drug and so on. And for women, what I notice is that, um, you know, they're not going to send a hot guy over for, for our female doctors. But we all know that the way into a woman's heart is through food. So they love to call and say, hey, you know, we, we happy to send over a rep with some delicious foods. What would you like to eat? And so let's talk about Rexalti or whatever they're pitching. So, yeah, they find clever ways to get into the doctor's office. And uh, I'm looking at the data. And I don't know about you, man, but after whatever happened over the past three years when they're saying that certain things are safe and effective, whatever these guys are coming to me with their data, that their drug is better than any other drug that I prescribed in the past, um, it's hard for me to fully believe that, if you know what I mean. So um, I try not to get involved with these drug reps. um, But having said that, when I observe what's around me, yes, absolutely. Most of the people are getting their education to what the drug reps are talking about. And some of my friends... They think they're cool because they're like, oh, did you know that this medication does that, that, and that? Bro, you got that presentation from the drug rep. Like, come on, man. Mm. You're not, you're like, where are you getting this information from? So it's more impressive when I have holistic friends that are saying, hey, this is a very cool way. Like, if some people are having withdrawal symptoms from benzos, you could try taking something like a kava supplement that could help ease the restlessness. That's what I want to know about. But, you know, uh, people like you and me, we're... we're there's not as we need more of us in this world and less of the the western band-aiding although i do believe that western band-aiding is very necessary but a lot of times what ends up happening is like um this is a very interesting analogy but this is what's happening in western medicine if you're driving your car and there's a blinker engine blinker saying something's off um you know if it gets really annoying someone might take a hammer and bash that 
uh, and keep driving. But that doesn't necessarily get rid of the problem. <laughs> the issue mm. is still there. And a lot of what Western medicine does is just massive symptoms or takes a signal away. But sometimes that signal is important. Yeah. So you don't want to completely take it away. So we see a lot of doctors that are just doing this as like, this is the treatment, the cure. And uh, as a result, the byproduct is what we're seeing today, yeah. a mess. I, I'd say that it's all the time when we get those signals, all the time it's feedback. You yeah. know, your body is giving you feedback, whether it's physical symptoms, mental sy symptoms. And oftentimes that feedback is requiring some kind of attention and or change. Yeah. And we become very, especially today, we're more comfortable. Creature co comforts our favorite thing. We're, we're, we're creatures of comfort. We're comfort seeking. And that's okay. But we've also got to keep that in check because we didn't evolve with so much comfort. We evolved in conditions where we needed to to continuously find ways to make sure that we're going to survive and be good. Yeah. So we're moving to this place where we're beyond survival, but are we gonna move to, to thriving? Or are we gonna create, create, for the first time in human history, create problems that we have to try to survive? Yeah. And right now it's the latter, you know, we're very good at doing that. Yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned in Kava, Kava Kava, I even talked about that in my first book, Sleep Smarter, years ago. And we've got peer-reviewed evidence on it helping to be, an, an, a relatively safe kind of providing that tranquility effect, mm. you know, and helping with sleep quality. And it's been used for thousands of years. You know, the same thing holds true if we're talking about, you know, the this movement with psychedelics in medicine. Now, I wanna ask you about this because what I want people to walk away with is to understand that there's a wide variety of treatment options. Most importantly, we wanna stack conditions with the things that our genes expect of us to the best that we can and look at what are the means for us to get at the root cause of what behaviors or ways of thinking are ailing us. Mm -hmm. And so with that being said, this is in a category, if we just put a category of psychoactive substances, we don't think about that when we're talking about medicine, right? Mm -hmm. When we're talking about prescription drugs, yeah. but if th these are in the field of psychiatry, these are psychoactive medications the yeah. same holds true with these things that you just mentioned dmt mm. being a psychoactive but we call it psychedelic yeah instead of like being in the same category so with that being said all of these different treatment options how are these in this category something like you know you mentioned ketamine or dmt what's going on in the brain how does this affect the human body yeah and before we get into that i want to make it very clear that most people will not need to see a mental health specialist if they did the four basic you know, pillars of uh, mental wellness. You sleep right, like read your book, sleep right, eat right, move your body right, and connect with the right people. So if people just stuck to that, most people would not need to get these kind of treatments and so on. But um, having established that, yeah, Ketamine is a synthetic uh, big pharma drug that's been around since the 70s. And it's very hard for me to talk about like how a synthetic medication can actually promote healing. But, um, and that's the one that I have the most experience with. So I can speak on that. But yes, one is that it offers people an opportunity to do some shadow work. It is said that 95% plus of your behavior patterns are shaped by your subconsciousness. Sometimes people end up doing certain things without really knowing why they, they do it in their subconsciousness. So. It, uh, if something is holding you back and you don't know why, sometimes you could do a ketamine psychedelic experience, go in there and face certain things that you may or may not have been uh, ready to see. And that's what we call shadow work. So it gives that opportunity to do that work. 
Uh, it's not going to do it for you. You still got to do the work. So that's one way. Two is that what's really exciting about ketamine is that um, you, of course, know about the dopamine reward center. But the dopamine reward center has this evil twin, which is called the lateral habinula center. And this is a center that's like responsible for holding on to a lot of dark, disappointing, depressing memories. So when this um, part of your brain is too active, it has a grip on your dopamine system. So a lot of times people find difficulty in finding joy and pleasure in things that they normally would enjoy doing. Mm. Ketamine goes in and through the action of working on the glutamate NMDA AMPA receptor system, uh, we don't have to get into that, but the downstream effect is that it suppresses or tones down the volume of the lateral habinula center, which allows the dopamine center, reward center, to breathe, and then people find pleasure and joy in the things that they used to enjoy doing. And so when someone has like an instant, like one or two hour um, after post-ketamine treatment and they feel like their depression has been lifted, that's from that. So it's really cool that, yes, it's kind of manipulating the brain, but at the same time, when people are in a ass situation, Sean, and I've been depressed and anxious before, I'll take anxiety over depression any day. But when you have some sinister depression, and if it's just like holding you down, sometimes people want that little bit of relief. And then it gives them the opportunity to see the world in a better place and then work on themselves there afterwards. And lastly, the way um, ketamine works, which is the most exciting in my opinion, is that by acting on the glutamate receptor system, it enhances there's a downstream effect that happens that activates a certain region in your genes called the mTOR region. And when this gene area gets activated, it's almost like a switch goes on and your brain becomes more fertilized. And now your neurons are like eager to grow into a new direction and your brain and your mind becomes more influenceable. So I'm someone who used to hate reading. After medical school, I didn't want to read anymore. I'd rather watch YouTube videos to learn and so on. Um, also, I'm someone who's not like you. Like, I just didn't like weight training. I'd rather play tennis, but I didn't want to weight train. And then so through my experience with ketamine, I trained my brain to really enjoy weight training. And I told myself, I love weight training. I love it. And like now your neurons are like, yes, I do love weight training. I love to read. Um, I saw the study that said that reading for six minutes a day can reduce your stress and anxiety levels by 68% by exercising the imagination and allowing your mind to work to comprehend information. So after I saw that study, I said, you know what? I'm gonna love reading. I really enjoy reading. And then after about three days of talking to myself like that, you really do feel differently about the way you see reading and weight training. So um, that's a great way of like my patients who have like, who are stuck in certain negative thought patterns to reset and gives them an opportunity to even like think positively or think in the more namaste gratitude way of thinking. So it's a great way to reset and rewire the brain into a different direction. So it's hard for me to say that to you because I know you're a health and wellness guy and we're friends and um, Big Pharma is something that you and I have had some serious problems with, but this is the one thing that I'm like, wow, like there's something about this that's very special. So I would ask people who are kind of anti-Big Pharma watching this to keep a little bit of open mind that not everything is bad that's coming from that department. Mm, yes, yes. So, and that's another thing too. It's so interesting. In my 10 year anniversary episode, I mentioned one of the keys to success. I kind of went over 10 of the biggest things I've learned, keys to success in talking with world leaders in various fields and also just doing this work for myself 20 years. And one of them was to question your biases, you know, to keep questioning your biases. And I, I use the example of big pharma and I went through all, 
not all, but a long series of crimes they've committed. But I was like, still, yeah. you have to remain open that something good can come from this industry. And now with that being said, I wanna circle back and ask you about the same concern that will come up for me with any psychoactive substance, which is the potential for addiction. Yeah. So can we talk about that in, in the realm of the psychedelics? Um, okay, so I'm from this from my experience, I would say there's absolutely zero potential for addiction with ayahuasca. So ayahuasca is not something that people like will are will be going to the streets and you know trying to get some more ayahuasca. That's just not gonna happen. Uh, and I could say that with absolute certainty and full confidence because that's a very hardcore psychedelic experience where you know I believe that this plant has a consciousness and it's looking out for our own good despite whatever it's illegal here so again overseas if people are going to try this out most people would agree that there's something very special and unique and magical about this and and it's not like something that people are going to be abusing i don't see that um however uh wait do do you know anybody who's been to like 20 ayahuasca ceremonies they in, have in, but, but in a year uh, <laughs> not in a year not in maybe a year. like in a couple of years i i have um, but addiction by definition means that you're losing control of yourself to sustain a certain habit. So one, if someone wants to say, hey, hey, you, you might end up becoming dependent on it where you feel like you need this all the time. Uh, and if you don't have it, you go through like some sort of like a withdrawal, you develop a tolerance to it. That's dependency. That's difference from uh, an addiction where if someone is a crack addict, they will sell their body and do certain things beyond their control for more crack. Um, but people won't be addicted to Zoloft. They're not going to do crazy things to get more Zolofts or Prozac for that matter. They're, they're, you're talking about dependency. They don't want to go through the withdrawal of that. So um, I forget if the question was asked in that way, do I see like addiction potential? I don't see addiction potential with ayahuasca. Um, but I will say I do see some addiction potential with ketamine though. And this is something from my training and um, you know I have access to it too, right? So when you have a drug that if i'm having a really shitty day sean and if i take this ketamine and it sends me to saturn for an hour and i could hang out in the beach out in saturn and float through with the cosmic angels and spend some time with my mom and uh you know a lot of these experiences on the ketamine journey are like beautiful and super pleasant and it makes you feel good um yes tremendous uh, uh, for addiction and abuse, especially in the hands of the wrong kind of person. So, yeah, we have it locked up, and uh, it is something that um, I will say, fully attest to it, that there is addiction potential with ketamine. Not so much with psilocybin. I think most of the people, like, you know, the things that come from the earth, um, I don't know, Mother Nature seems to have a way of adding other nutrients in there that kind of have a more sustained release. It's not, like, so addicting. Um but yeah, it's the ones that people create, like the ketamine and the MDMA that's about to come out into the pipeline pretty soon for PTSD treatment. Yeah. Uh, things like that, I could see tremendous abuse. Yeah, I acknowledge. <laughs> and this is speaking to the importance of, you know, education and working with practitioners, you know, um, folks like yourself who have a broad range of experience and also who are not just use. This is the top tier thing, like take these drugs, take these different things but like let's address all the other things try to check these boxes and if we need to add in some other things to help us again address the root cause of your suffering then you know we can add these things to the mix and so you know a big part of why do we, you know we've talked about earlier just joking about you know, our carnivore friends or you know people who are hardcore you know vegan or 
whatever the case might be, and how it becomes the only thing in the toolkit. Yeah. I want to provide everyone with a vast array of tools in their superhero utility belt. Yeah. You know, especially again for ourselves, for our family members who might be suffering. But whatever it is, is trying to get an inroads back to ourselves. Yeah. And we're so externally focused again, largely in part to this technology, you know, being in this phone. And we're not listening to our bodies, those signals you mentioned that are yeah. getting smashed. But the signals are going off. And if we pay attention, whatever method we're using, whether it's meditation or whether it's through, you know, one of these psychoactive um, protocols that you're talking about, but being able to go within and to address the things that are really ailing us, that's the ultimate mission. You know, that can be done. I mean, so often Stanford did some research on this, just the act of walking, just yeah. going for a short walk cre uh, increases creative inspiration or something called divergent thinking, like 60% versus sitting, you know, and getting us to go within, to think differently about our lives, about our problems, about society, really, you know, just by moving our bodies, yeah. you know? And so what if we can start to create a culture where those things are being prescribed, right? Low tier things that have pretty much all upside, like it affects everything else in a positive way. And what are the side of negative side effects of walking? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you might end up somewhere, you know what I mean? I don't know, I, end up in another neighborhood. I prescribed my patient fun one time and she wanted her money back. <laughs> I said, this is what you need. And she said, no, I need to go up on my prestige. I said, yeah, I, mean, I guess. But, but uh, you know, before we do that, like I'm not hearing anything about fun. It's, uh, it's amazing how if, 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 a, if you have a child, a baby, and a baby smoking cigarettes all day, eating garbage, and uh, confined in his crib, and it's not really going out and exploring the world and stimulating the mind, like you cannot expect that baby to grow up to be happy. We are not that baby, but we are still human beings. We still need to figure out a way to like stimulate our minds and uh, maybe cut down and put the poisons there too. Mm -hmm. And it's a basic concept. You're absolutely right. But a lot of times people have a hard time accepting that to be the official treatment. And I've come to arguments and disputes with my clients about like, you know, why it's important to eat clean. They'll tell me that they eat Pop-Tarts for breakfast. And I said, well, yeah, but that's all sugar. And they go, no, no, no. But I have my fruit serving in there from the jam. And, and this is how some people wow. think. And when they think yeah. like that, to try to pitch about like fitness. And, and also the other thing too, is that some of these young guns, if I'm trying to encourage them to put down their phone a little bit more and eat cleaner, but then you meet their parents and they're both obese and staring at their phones. It's, I would say nearly impossible to get the whole family to change. You know, it's, it has to be a whole family situation. And when the parents are not one to change, uh, it sucks for the kid, man. So, yeah, I wish there could be a better way of influencing people to make better choices, but some people are stuck in their ways and I feel like they will eventually get to a point where life or the universe will show them the way, uh, probably through a painful way of why they need to change. But um, I have been a lot happier when I let go of the attachment to the end results for these guys. Like, hey, I can show you the path, but you're not willing to walk the walk. It's okay, it's okay. You'll figure it out one of these days. And that's what I learned from the shaman back in the from the ayahuasca ceremony he's just like okay man you know now you 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 got the downloads now it's up to you to decide um how you want to live your life now so i like that kind of like namaste approach where he's just like okay you deal with it mm. so one of the things for for us you just mentioned it changing our culture mm. right you just mentioned the family culture for example and the 
And really, this is where our, our greatest change, our leverage is within ourselves and within our, our family unit. But then we can stretch that out to our neighborhoods, our communities, society. I believe it's possible. It's going to take a lot of work. Okay. But one of the ways of doing it, the inroads, and you use it so well, is through the lens of humor. And it's been such a joy over the past couple of years to stay connected with you and to see what you're sharing, you know, the, the creations that you're putting out on Instagram and looking at some of these issues, whether it's, you know, pandemic related things, shutdowns and all these different things and putting a lens of humor for us to like, it's more palatable, right? Yeah. But also laughter is so healing. It's such a good therapy, you yeah. know, it's just like when you're, I saw this, this report recently and it showed how much our laughter goes down over the years, like from our, you know, childhood, adolescence, to in our 20s and 30s, like people stop laughing as much in, the, in any given day. And it's, it's, it's so sad because if you look at long lived cultures, they're hanging out and laughing yeah. all the time. My mother-in-law, who's definitely listening to this right now, watching this episode, that's what she does. And mm. she's one of the, she's like an icon for me with health and wellness. Mm. And if if she if there's not something to laugh about, she's gonna make something to laugh about. She's gonna talk <laughs> about you. She's gonna whatever it is, you know. <laughs> and um, you know, it's just see something like that. Just like great examples of people who are doing well into their senior years. And I'm just so grateful for that, man, because you are. I'm talking about your genius level with what you're creating. So can you share uh, what inspired you to start doing that? Yeah, and, it was. Yeah. It's called depression and anxiety, man. When you feel like <laughs> ass, uh, you want to figure out a way to feel better, and uh, you create content, and uh, it, it's for it's therapeutic for me. Mm. So when I'm frustrated with the world, I'll, you know, uh, interpret things a certain way, create a skit with my kids and so on, and and those seem to do pretty well because people like to see like families involved and little kids that seem to be somewhat in tune with what's happening. So by doing that, uh, it's made me feel better and. Um, if it could make other people crack up or make them feel better, what a blessing. But I don't go in with the intent of trying to crack people up. I say, okay, I'm gonna make a post about whatever's happening here with the vegan diet, whatever, and uh, here's what I'm gonna talk about and this is what the, what the idea is gonna be. And it comes out a certain way and uh, yeah, I crack myself up and I feel better. So it's like therapeutic for me on a, on a self-care level, that's what I do. And if other people resonate with it, it's awesome and it's allowed me to connect with you and some really awesome people in the health and wellness community and i'm truly grateful for that yeah that's the right use of the technology you know to, to connect people but then here we are in the real world yeah. you know what i mean and so can you let everybody know where they can follow you of course and oh, yeah, just yeah. any other place that they can get more information just get more into your universe yeah so um my instagram is like my main channel i, I used to be on tiktok but tiktok didn't like me very much so i got banned hmm. from there but it's uh, <laughs> uh Instagram is uh, YojiMD, Y-O-J-I-M-D. And um, I have a supplement line called Beyond Recovery. So beyondrecovery.com. And that's uh, a mental health, mental wellness supplement line that I created with three other doctors, three other holistic doctors. Because a lot of what we do in Western medicine in a nutshell is just, it just backwards. And uh, we just want to keep this very simple in terms of like reminding people to stick to the basics. Let's eat clean and sleep right and exercise and all that stuff. But if you, for whatever reason, because everyone has every excuse in the book why it's so difficult for them to eat clean nowadays, then at least take some supplements too. And and want to make it very clear, supplements do not substitute real foods, as you know, 
But if you could eat, try to um, eat a little bit cleaner now, uh, step up your game with the with the diet game, and add some supplements on top of that. And this is a supplement line devoted towards mental wellness. So um, that's something that people could check out at beyondrecovery.com. But aside from that, that's that's pretty much my plug. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, this has been dope to actually hang out and see you in the real world. Yeah, man. And everybody definitely go follow him because it's going to bring some brightness to your day. And it's always insightful as well. And again, just getting us laughing. One of the best therapies that my mother-in-law pointed me to was not taking yourself too seriously. Yeah. You know, like, and I remember there was one teacher that she shared with me. He said that seriousness is a sickness. And I was like, man, you can't be, this guy's not serious. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I immediately, I felt this pushback because in my culture where I come from, you know, especially as you get older, you stop playing, like yeah. stop playing with me. You play too much, you know, um, and to reframe things and to, to, to lighten up, to see the world through the lens of humor and love and connection those are some of the things that have also been lacking the last couple of years that you've been an advocate for recently too, yeah. you know, reframing things because ultimately if we're going to progress as a species, we've got to be more understanding. We've got to lighten up. We've got to check our biases and just be open to change. Yeah. And if you want to laugh, uh, just understand that some dude in England just got crowned king. I mean, that's kind of funny. And uh, <laughs> my goodness, that actually happened. Um, and uh, lastly, the um, the shaman, one of the most important lessons for everyone, just to close this up, is that the shaman advised me before I left that it's very um, a wise and enlightened thing to, to be childlike, to play, to remember to play and be childlike. Don't be childish, mm-hmm. but be childlike. And that's one of the last things he took to me, so he, he, he shared with me. So in moving forward, I like to um, remind my clients to be childlike, let's have some fun. Don't take life too seriously. Look at these kids, their imagination, and uh, they're running around, they're doing some really cool things. So let's be childlike, not childish though. Yeah, and being childlike can also be, you can have a king and a queen, by the way. That's you know, shout out to <laughs> Shout out to all of our audience in the UK. Congratulations. And um, you know, that's, that's the thing about us. We're just big adult babies, yeah. you know, and we're just manufacturing and imagineering things and creating a life that we feel comfortable with. Mm. And the more that we can become aware of that and that, and, and also becoming aware of how little we actually know. Yeah. Nothing. You've been keeping up with the James Webb telescope stuff? No, no, I don't know. Man, this telescope is like, we've got billions upon billions upon billions of galaxies filled with other planets. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, we're here in this t- almost nothing. But the thing is, we're, it's, we're everything. We're a part of everything. And the, the, the challenge is that we ironically feel so isolated, even though we're part of something so magnificent, mm. you know, because we have this unique individual consciousness. Yeah. And the more that we can get in tune with that and to realize our mind is perceiving things a certain way, but the reality is we're all connected. We all affect each other. Every action we take, every thought we think, and you, we can start to be the light. We could, we could start to bring the energy to the room. When you came in here, yeah. you brought a certain energy into the room. Mm. And you can't turn that off. You are who you are. Yeah. And it's incredible. And I want to implore everybody to do that, you know, be more like Joe and bring <laughs> it to it, you know, be a light, be somebody who's bringing good energy, be somebody who's being creative and bringing humor and, you know, prescribing fun. 
So this has been fun, man. I really appreciate you coming by to hang out with us. Thank you so much, man. And we got our Instagram live next week or so. So that should be fun. I'm going to be, you're going to be in the hot seat. So let's go. Make sure again, follow him on social media, Dr. Joseph Yee, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. We've got to keep this conversation going and really normalize our conversation around mental health. Yes, check that box. This is something that is happening but also normalize the conversation around effectiveness, normalize the conversation around efficacy. Are our treatments for our conditions, for our growing mental health issues, are they actually working? And are there things that are clinically proven to be more effective? We've got to normalize that part of the conversation because it's not just about acknowledgement, it's not just about conversations, it's not just about treatments, it's about are they working? And if not, we can pivot, we can add new things to our protocols. But when we get into the situation where we're being dogmatic and there's one way is the way through our standard of care, which has again, largely been ineffective, not to say that it can't be effective. Again, for some people in some cases, absolutely everything has its value. So we don't wanna villainize, but also at the same time, we don't want to make one thing the end all be all. And so providing a wide range, a wide palette, a smorgasbord, a buffet of options and education around what are the most important things, those foundational tenets that Dr. Yi talked about today of right nutrition, of movement, of high quality sleep, of community and connection. If we have deficiencies in those four things and we're not addressing those first and foremost and jump right to medicalizing our emotions and medicating our symptoms when our bodies and our incredible brains are giving us valuable feedback that we need to adjust our behavior. We need to go within. We need to make the changes necessary to really express health and well-being within our bodies. When we mute that feedback from our bodies, again, in some cases, when they're extreme, to be able to have some reduction in pain and suffering and symptoms in a spot case yes we need those things available but ultimately we're going to keep having those symptoms coming back and starting to domineer our lives if we're not getting to the root cause of our issues so again i hope that you got a lot of value out of this episode if you did please share this out with your friends and family you can share this on social media tag me i'm at sean model and tag dr Yi as well he would love 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 to see your feedback and you sharing the show. And of course, you can send this directly from the podcast app that you are listening on. We've got some incredible masterclasses and world-class guests coming your way very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.